Thank you for listening to this podcast that is part of the Fonts News Outlook 2021 series. During this annual event, we traditionally look ahead to a new investment year with investment experts and economists from home and abroad. Special attention is given to the outlook for the various important asset classes. My name is Marije Groen, and in today's episode, the pandemic has unleashed unprecedented market volatility, and the internal indicators at Franklin Templeton signaled early on in 2020 that a recession was underway. And indeed, in June, the National Bureau of Economic Research announced that the economic activity peaked in February, leading the beginning of the first U.S. recession in over a decade. Where do we stand today and what should we watch for in the coming months? And what does the election of Joe Biden mean for the economy? That's something we'll talk about today with Tristan Camp, Product Manager, U.S. Equities at Franklin Templeton. Tristan, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Would you mind uh, briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, yes, so my name is Tristan Kemp. I'm a product manager uh, with uh, Franklin Templeton. Uh, and so my role in, involves uh, meeting with um, uh, investors, meeting with, uh, with the public uh, to communicate uh, some of the messages uh, emanating from, from the firm, uh, at, particularly as it relates to uh, U.S. equities. Right. Uh, and help me understand, in preparing for this interview, I noticed different names. I saw Franklin Templeton, I saw Leck Mason, I saw Clearbridge Investments. How do we organize all that? Help me out here. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit complicated. So uh, Franklin Templeton, a couple of months ago, made the acquisition of another uh, U.S. firm named Leg Mason. Uh, Leg Mason was a, a multi-subsidiary uh, structure, so it owned a number of independent asset management companies. And one of those companies was a firm called Clearbridge, which is now, as a result of this transaction, um, part of the uh, Franklin Templeton group. Right. So, so Clearbridge is a, is a label of, of Franklin Templeton, is that correct? So it is, uh, it, it is a subsidiary. So it is part of, the, um, uh, of Franklin Templeton. Uh, it's an autonomous investments unit, uh, which is whose um, uh, act, who is specialized in active management and who runs um, uh, U.S. equity and global equity strategies. Okay. Thanks so much for clarifying that, uh, Tristan. Now, let's talk a bit more about uh, the U.S. economy and also about those internal indicators that I mentioned in the introduction, uh, because Franklin Templeton has developed a clear bridge recession dashboard, uh, is what it's called. It contains nine variables that have historically foreshadowed a durable recovery. Now, tell us a bit more about this dashboard and what kind of variables are we talking about, Tristan? Yes, so um, Clearbridge's investment strategist, Jeff Schultz, he has assembled this recovery dashboard, which consists of nine variables, as you mentioned, uh, across three dimensions, which are confidence, economic, and financial indicators. And when you take them together, they provide a good representation of the state of the U.S. economy and have historically, as you said, foreshadowed a, a durable recovery following a recession. So it follows a traffic light type system where for each uh, variable red indicates a level which is consistent with a recession, green with an expansion, and yellow is a transitory signal uh, towards green or red. And the overall result is uh, a signal which itself is also red, green, or yellow. 
And the aim of the dashboard is to signal whether or not a durable economic bottom has been formed. And therefore, if investors can be confident that it is an appropriate time to again increase their allocations to risk assets, including uh, equities. Hmm. So, and if we look at that now for U.S. economy, what, what does the dashboard tell us? So at the end of October, uh, a, mad, a majority of the dashboard's indicators are flashing green. And so the overall, it so is the overall signal. Uh, so this means that the economy is on a sol- solid footing and really in the early stages uh, of a new expansion cycle. So the recession that the uh, economy went through in the first half of the year was very sharp, but it was brief. Um, and this can really be explained by the very specific nature of this pandemic-induced downturn. Unlike a usual recession, it was actually triggered by policymakers themselves that um, decided uh, very restrictive measures early around the world to contain the spread of the virus. And so as a result, they knew both the timing as well as the magnitude of the induced shock and were able to act swiftly and decisively to provide uh, fiscal and monetary support um, to the economy. So that became apparent in hindsight that the tremendous uh, policy action would have for uh, uh, results to uh, counter these recessionary forces and to enable the, the economy to, to emerge quite rapidly from, from the recession, although, of course, um, there are still ramifications to this. And I know you often like to talk, or people like to talk about a certain shape of recovery that we see. Is it a V? Is it a W? What are we seeing? Uh, but also, not only what are we seeing, but what will this mean going forward for the markets? And you're right there to point out that, that there's a lot of talk about what shape the recovery would take. And um, for the time being, actually, the, the data appears to be pointing to a V-shaped recovery. And there's a number of ways that you can look into this, um, particularly as it relates to consumer spending, which represents a sizable share of U.S. GDP. Um, retail sales in the U.S. have already recovered their pre-crisis level in, in the space of just six months. And that process took as much as six months after the dot-com bubble implosion and 34 months uh, post the global financial crisis. And this was this, this, this rebound was clearly driven by government payments in the form of uh, one-off checks and additional unemployment benefits to households, which led to a, a 34.2 increase in uh, disposable income uh, for U.S. households. Uh, during the time of the recession, which is generally a time where disposal income tends to uh, fall or only increase very, very slightly. Um, on the corporate side, uh, earnings have held up much better than expected in both the second and third quarter. Um, they beat forecasts by wide margin in the third quarter, and expectations have been actually ratcheting higher for 2020 as a whole, which is unusual. Uh, as at this time of the year, they're usually being lowered. I mean, that's not to say there aren't risks, of course. Uh, the most obvious is the virus, which is still spreading. And if you look at recent developments in Europe, which has seen a resurgence of COVID-19 cases and lockdown measures to, to stem its progress, that could be a leading indicator of where the U.S. is headed. 
partial closures, of course, would weigh on the on the economy. Uh, what's what's notable though is that recent hopes of a vaccine breakthrough could help lift spirits and, and boost spending, and, and this could be a, a game changer in, in in that sense, coming at a time where um, there's actually pretty good momentum in the economy as it is. Mm. So things are, are looking bright. If I hear you correctly, the, the dashboard seems to be on green. Uh, we see a lot of positive uh, developments for the economy, especially now with a vaccine also uh, within reach uh, for, for COVID. Uh, then also uh, the last weekend, um, markets have reacted positively to the Joe Biden win. I think that probably can be a factor as well. Uh, what does this the Biden win mean for the economy and for the various sectors that you see? What can you tell us about that? Uh, so what's interesting is um, stocks rose last week uh, despite the election noise. So before um, there was a clear victor. Uh, and this is because some things were actually already clear even before Biden sealed his win. So for one thing, markets can live with pretty much any scenario. When you look at the pattern of, of equities, stocks have historically risen whether the president and the Congress weren't or weren't uh, of the same party whether the president was a Republican or a Democrat, in, in, in that in relatively similar proportions. And so in all likelihood, this time around, government will be divided with Republicans likely hanging on to the Senate. And this is a setup that investors don't necessarily dislike as it means that the most market negative parts of his platform are off the table. And that's particularly the case in terms of tax increases, uh, rising regulation in some sectors like banks, healthcare, and large technology companies. And those are actually the sectors that went up the most last week, mm. except for banks, where you know, a, a smaller stimulus plan is interpreted by markets as, as likely to lead to lower inflation, uh, everything else being equal, uh, and lower interest rates. And that would weigh on, on, on banks' net interest margins. So on that note, uh, on the note of on the subject of, of stimulus, there will probably be an agreement for uh, additional stimulus, although not the two and a half to three trillion dollars that Democrats were um, uh, initially hoping for. They will they will have to contend with Republicans, and uh, of course, and the end result could be in the kind of five hundred billion to a trillion dollar range. But given again the resilience of the private sector combined with the fact that monetary policy will remain extremely accommodative, the fact that oil prices are low and the U.S. dollar is weak, and now the prospects for uh, va vaccine, the, the economy looks like it has sufficient momentum even in the events uh, that you know it even had further spending had not been deployed, which, which it will be. Mm. Okay, thanks. So that tells us a bit more about the situation uh, with regards to the economy. Um, something I also want to talk about with you today is ESG, uh, and then specifically how you deal with ESG at Franklin Templeton or Clearbridge to be more specific, um, because I think, again, there's there's some kind of a model there, right? So for the recession, you had uh, the recession dashboard, but for uh, ESG, there's an, 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 a model philosophy as well. What can you tell us about that, Tristan? Sure. So uh, at Clearbridge, there are really four considerations. There are four pillars to, to the ESG investments uh, philosophy. Uh, which really underlined their um, their ESG uh, efforts. The the first observation is that companies with with positive ESG attributes uh, are actually quite likely to outperform their peers uh, over the long term. The second observation is that 
companies with negative ESG characteristics uh, represent significant risk to shareholder value. And um, uh, incorporating, integrating ESG issues is a way to mitigate the reputational, the legal risks incurred by these poor practices. The, th- the third um, consideration is that um, uh, ESG uh, investing allows for a more holistic assessment of companies than if you're just using the financial lens. It ultimately leads to a better standing, understanding of it by uh, of these businesses in the long term uh, and some of the risks and opportunities that, um, that, that companies face. The kind of the fourth uh, consideration is just active ownership, uh, which you know, right. active ownership is active proxy voting and engagement with companies. And this is something that um, uh, investors take now very seriously and uh, which forms part of the fiduciary duty that asset owners um, uh, expect from um, uh, from their investment management um, uh, relations. Hmm. So how long uh, have you been working on ESG at uh, ClearBridge? How, how long have you been managing portfolios? Uh, and how do you actually use those observations that you just uh, mentioned? Well, um, the, the U.S. hasn't necessarily been um, ahead of, the, of Europe when it comes to ESG and sustainable investing. That's, that's, that's pretty clear. That being said, ClearBridge is actually probably one of the pioneers in, in the U.S. They've had a long-standing ESG program dating back to, uh, to the 1980s. Um, they've had, uh, they appointed a, a head of ESG investment as early as late 1990s. Um, so they were, uh, they were probably ahead of their time in, in, in the U.S. And initially, the approach was exclusionary. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s. So it, it was running um, tailored portfolios, which were excluding um, certain stocks and sectors based more on a value, uh, moral values framework. Over time, it's evolved towards looking for companies that you actually want to invest in rather than excluding companies. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, that mirrors changes in, in the wider industry as well. Mm. And, and uh, so what does that currently look like? Do you have a lot more active positions now when it comes to, uh, to sustainability? So uh, the result of this, 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 this process over 30 years is that now ESG is, is fully integrated uh, at ClearBridge. And, and what that means is that um, the uh, the ESG research, the ESG analysis, is carried out by the uh, the fundamental analysts. So rather than um, outsourcing this to a third party firm, rather than having a separate team carry it out that research, it is the fundamental analysts themselves that, alongside the traditional uh, financial analysis. Um, undertake the ESG research and that model, uh, even though it's more demanding because it means that the fundamental analysts have to uh, ramp up their understanding of, of ESG issues um, because they have a, a deeper knowledge and deeper understanding of the sectors and, and the companies under their coverage, they're better positioned to identify within each one of these three dimensions, E, S, um, and, and G, uh, which are the most pertinent factors um, and to create a framework with which to analyze uh, those companies. And this integration effort is, is really um, shared across the group. So uh, pretty much every stock today 
that is owned across Clearbridge in one or more um, portfolios um, carries an, uh, a proprietary ESG uh, opinion alongside a fundamental opinion. Uh, and that's uh, materialized by a, an ESG proprietary ESG rating uh, from the firm. Right. And, and what can you tell us about the performance of companies with uh, leading ESG attributes? So um, it's uh, there's some kind of, I think, conflicting um, uh, or not clear empirical evidence of the outperformance, you know, over a long period of companies with uh, superior ESG attributes. I think overall, what you find, what you can glean from these um, empirical studies is that there's certainly no performance dispersion. I, there's no performance trade-off between uh, uh, investing in, in companies with leading ESG characteristics and companies that are performing the best. Uh, and actually, um, in a way that that does uh, make sense because businesses that are run with a long-term mindset that treat employees fairly are mindful of resource utilization that promote diversity in their governance um, uh, structures are also those or that tr that tend to thrive over the long term because they are run uh, with a, this this long-term mindset um, Certainly, there is a correlation between um, uh, what uh, the, a company's cost of capital and how well it performs on an ESG basis. So there's a um, companies with good ESG characteristics certainly seem to perform better on an operational uh, on an operational business uh, sorry basis, um, and and that's. Uh, I think that is that's something that uh, is is encouraging and um, a trend that we uh, we we expect to continue o o over time. Right. So another positive, I would say. Um, Tristan, we're we're about to wrap it up, but if you could give your key takeaway to the audience on both the U.S. economy uh, and on ESG, what what would you like to summarize this uh, as? What would you want listeners of today to to remember from from listening to this podcast? Well, one is that the uh, despite all the noise, uh, that the U.S. economy is actually has good momentum, um, and that's you can see that through a variety of of indicators throughout uh, all the noise and uh, continued monitoring and fiscal stimulus will only uh, help to to support this. So on that front, the the picture is is encouraging. On, on the election, on and on the result of the election, um, as as is often the case, I think investors, particularly outside of the U.S., uh, perhaps tend to um, overestimate how important the outcome of the election is to the trajectory of of markets. Uh, there are checks and balances built into the U.S. system, which means that every radical any radical changes watered down, particularly in the case of a, a divided government, which it seems we're, we're heading towards. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily overplay the importance of the outcome of the election, um, although there will be uh, some changes at the margin. Um, mm -hmm. And then three, uh, I think in in uh, when it comes to um, ESG investing, We've seen um, we've seen great progress this year. At the be at the beginning of the of the pandemic, it wasn't clear that um, uh, those 
considerations uh, would would stay at the forefront because the priorities seem to be elsewhere uh, finding the pandemic. Uh, and actually those those issues, if anything, have gained in prominence, whether it's social issues um, and even environmental issues. Um, uh, the worry about climate change certainly hasn't hasn't gone away. And that is that is encouraging. Great. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tristan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank today's guest, Tristan Kemp from Franklin Templeton. This podcast about the outlook for the US was offered to you by Franklin Templeton, and it was recorded as part of a series dedicated to the Fonts News Outlook event 2021. For more podcasts, please visit fontsnews.nl. And if you'd like to know more about the Recession Dashboard and ESG at Clearbridge, please check out the website of Franklin Templeton, www.franklintempleton.com.